Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 101. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Samantha Murphy. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive into it, exploring what works, what doesn't, and trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. Literary gold, yes. And and I gotta tell you, we are like the freaking Fort Knox of literary gold here at the Roundtable Podcast. So much literary gold. This is like our 101st brainstorm here on the round table and and the gold production just continues to rock and dear friends assisting me in the spinning of ideas into gold for this episode once again co-host samantha murphy uh editor chum of the under librams and all-around literary badass ma'am i am so delighted. we had a blast on that 20 minutes with i'm looking forward to this with you as well thank you so much hey it's my pleasure to be here we're going we're gonna to spin some gold. We're going to have us some fun. But that doesn't happen without a guest host rocking that that comfy, comfy chair uh, here at the round table. So let's bring him back as well. Dear friends, from a fabulous 20 minutes with of just seven days ago, returning to that big comfy chair, Master Tim Wagner. Tim you, you really laid down some, some literary goodness for us in that 20 minutes with, and for that we are grateful. I am keen to brainstorm a story with you, sir. I am so grateful you made the time. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Well, I think you earned your. I think you earned your seat uh, at the twenty minutes with. We kind of do that sometimes, you know. If the twenty minutes with doesn't go so well, we don't ask you back. Uh, but in your case, total chops, total street cred. You made the scene, Tim. I got to ask you. You've been all over the map in in the, in the absolute best way, working with some of the coolest uh, uh, media properties. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Xena, uh, uh, Supernatural, Stargate, plus working with. Horror and and fantasy and YA. Uh, I can only imagine that the, the road stretching ahead of you is at once both a delightful mystery and also a grand adventure uh, that's going to unfold. So I'm curious, what what's coming up in the world of Tim Wagner in the coming weeks and months? Well, right now I have a novella out called The Winter Box from Dark Fuse. Um, it's kind of a dark fantasy, dark romance story. Um, Yet another June, genre marked down for you, sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in June, I have a, another supernatural novel out called Mythmaker. It's coming out from Titan Books. There's a, a horror novel called Eat the Night coming out from Dark Fuse in July. And then in January, I'm going to get to do my first movie novelization. Really? Yeah, Resident Evil, the final chapter. I get to do no, novelization for that. Holy crap, dude. That's huge. No, I'm really excited about it. it. Should be a lot of fun. Is that something that you kind of had kind of set your sights on as a as a writer? Seeing as how you know, I'd imagine that once you get your fourth or fifth licensed property under your belt, there's a certain maybe not swagger, but certainly a, a, a familiarity with that, and you start setting your sights. Was that something that you uh, were looking forward to someday? Yeah, just because I wanted to see what the the process is like, because it's a, it's almost like a collaboration with somebody that you don't get to talk <laughs> to talk to while you write, you know, because I, I have their story and the script and everything. So sure, and I enjoyed reading novelizations as a kid. You know, back 
in the days before video and DVD, a lot of times you go see the movie and then you'd read the book to find out, you know, more. Sure. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to writing this. Now, are you going to have access to the, to the script writer, do you think, during that process? Or would you want it? So. No, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, if I have, like, uh, any kind of questions, I could try to get in touch. But, no, I just have a version of the script, a slightly earlier one, I think, than the, the one they probably use as a final shooting script. But Dude, other than that, I'm just going to go for it. We've got to have you back after you, after you do that novel and it comes out. Can we have you back and discuss that adaptation process? Sure, I'd love that. That would be awesome. Um, what about conventions, sir? Do you, do you make the, the con scenes? To some of them, I'm going to go to StokerCon coming up in May. Well, yeah, you kind of have to, right? Yeah, that's true. I want to be an ungrateful bastard, but yeah. That's right. Mentor right. of the year and ungrateful bastard. No, that yeah. doesn't work. I'm going to go to Anim- AnimeCon in Barbados in oh. August. Yeah, it's really cool. I, actually, no, I've only, the only time I've been out of the country was one afternoon when I went to Canada years ago when you could do that without a passport. Right. So it's going to be really cool. Um going to be an Imaginarium in Kentucky in September, and then I'm going to go to World Fantasy in October. Ah, very cool. Well, I'll see you there. I'll be at World Fantasy as well. Oh, excellent. So we, will, we will shake hands and, and, and toast ourselves. Excellent. That sounds good. Very cool. Well, I will make sure that all of that gets into the liner notes uh, uh, so, our, so our friends and listeners can, can make with the clicky click and find all the cool stuff that you're doing. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, uh, at this point, I'd like to pause for, for just uh, just a few minutes and, and give some podcast airtime to another uh, awesome podcast or an ebook or, or a Kickstarter, some, some badassery that's happening out there in the world, and it's always happening out there in the world. Uh, but when we come back, uh, Samantha, Tim, I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Sounds, Sounds like blast. I couldn't agree more. And it will be. I, I've put on my prescient helmet of tinfoil and I can see the future. It is going to be a blast. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. From Michael R. Underwood, author of Geekomancy, Shield and Crocus, and more, comes Genre Knots, a science fiction adventure series in novellas. Fantasy, mystery, science fiction, we know these genres from TV and comics and more, but in Genre Knots, each genre is also a world unto itself, inhabited by archetypal characters and filled with the tropes we all know and love. When stories go off track, you send in the Genre Knots. This team of narrative specialists travels across dimensions to find, evaluate, and fix broken stories lest the ripples manifest as violence and upheaval in our own world. Struggling stand-up comedian Leah Tang is recruited to join the genre knots as stories are breaking at a record pace. Will she adapt to the bizarre and dangerous life of a genre knot, or will she end up as just another broken story? From May 9th to June 9th, Genre Knots is kickstarting a season one collected edition, comprising all six novellas. Head to michaelrunderwood.com slash kickstarter today to back the campaign and help shape the future of Genre Knots. 
Welcome back, dear friends. And now we get down to the business at hand, the business of the round table. The reason why you're here, the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here in the virtual studios. Uh, dear friends, our guest writer for this episode is a world-traveling, cat-serving, cosplaying student of the University of Southern Maine's Stone Coast Master's Program in Creative Writing. She is the daughter of a mad scientist and a belly dancer, uh, which may go a long way to explaining a great many things. Uh, currently, her favorite musical is Hamilton, and her favorite book will probably always be Jurassic Park. By Michael Crichton. She has three books published with Kensington Press, which will absolutely be included in the liner notes. And when she's not drafting fabulous tales, she has dedicated her life to making life a little weirder with her husband in Omaha, Nebraska. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Caitlin Nichols. Uh, Caitlin you know, I don't care how many times you've done this in workshop, in writers groups or whatever, it's never easy to put your baby up there for scrutiny and discussion. So so hats off. We salute you for your courage and your bravery. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's super exciting. I know. I, I'm and I'm excited and, and that I think is, is really kind of cool too. Caitlin, before we get into this, I just gotta ask. Um I checked out your, your works up there on Kensington Press and gorgeous covers, by the way. Um, I but I noticed that you, you write under a pseudonym, that you're Caitlin R. Branch uh, up there with Kensington Press anyway. And I was just curious, what, what was your motivation behind adopting a pseudonym? Well, Caitlin R. Branch is actually my married name. Ah. And I n never got a chance to change my maiden name because two months after we got married, we were going to be moving to South Korea. So I didn't <laughs> want to change my passport. That would complicate things dramatically, yes. <laughs> Just a bit. So I ended up adopting that as my pseudonym because then I didn't have to worry about my workmates finding my books, which have erotic uh, elements in them, mm. and, you know, teasing me with them. And I was just sort of like, you know what, let's not even bother with that unless, they've, unless I want them to find it. Uh, they won't find it. Very good. Very good. That makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. All right, well, let's get into this, Caitlin. You know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. You pitch your story to us. Give us the title and the genre, the audience. Give us a tagline or a logline. Introduce us to the themes and the world and the characters. Give us the, the tent poles of the story itself and, and we'll be off to the brainstorming races. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get out of the way, ma'am. The mic is all yours. All right. Thank you. This book is titled Slight of Spirit. It's a multi-perspective high fantasy novel. The hook line is as follows. A magical healer is possessed by a demon and struggles to balance who she was with who the demon demands that she be. The theme for this story is how others can make the sacrifice to change your fate, whether you want them to or not, and how you choose to live with the sacrifice that they made. In the world description, this series is set in a multiverse where the main magic is called ether. It's a very general magic and it's able to be applied in many different ways depending on the person. Morgan's portion is set on a plane named A-Star in a country called Togune. In A-Star, low-level magic users are common enough that there's almost no fear of magic. 
it's a world where technology and science are understood, but magic generally takes the place of engineering. So it's sophisticated but low tech. The protagonist of the story is Morgan. Before the possession, Morgan's name was Melissa. When a demon possesses her, Melissa's soul is permanently altered by the demon, and she starts to call herself Morgan. Morgan wants to be free of the demon so that she can use her magic without repercussions and not fear being an experiment. Morgan is terrified that the demon is telling the truth when it says that there's nothing she can do to change the fate of being possessed by it for all of eternity. At the beginning of the story, Morgan is trusting and a little optimistic, but by the end of the story, she's angry and vengeful. Morgan is supported by two main people. Zakirael is an intelligent mage who runs a mercenary business. His sister, Ursula, was also possessed, but did not survive with her mind intact. And he's been caring for Ursula for upwards of 50 years when our story starts. Zakirael hopes that studying Morgan can help him rehabilitate Ursula. He is, it turns, a supportive father figure and a sinister manipulator. Voraz is another healer. He's a steady man with a debt to Zakirael and will try to be a decent and honorable person. He places others' needs above his own as much as possible. He has a bit of a guilty conscience. Two side characters are Zaruku, who is Zakirael's son. Zaruku wants to make Morgan his wife, but he is violent and inappropriate. He hates Morgan because of Zakirael's preference of her over him, but desires her as an object of power. He has the ability to be charming, manipulative as his father, and to play the long game. Kirill is a mad god. He's ancient, but was driven mad and set on a course through Tagune, where Morgan eventually meets him. The primary antagonist is the demon. The demon does not have a name that we know because having its name would allow its exorcism. The demon is trapped in an endless cycle, searching for a very specific aspect of Melissa's soul in order to set itself free and let himself forget the pain and suffering he's undergone at the cycle's hands. The demon is at the same time sympathetic of Morgan and also a little angry at her. The demon will do whatever fulfills its goals. It wants Morgan to gain power so that it can examine her and decide whether she is the soul shard that he is looking for. Here's the story. Melissa is a healer of great talent. She has a touchy relationship with the mercenary guild run by Zakirael, bordering on hatred. One of Melissa's patients attacks her, and she is possessed by a demon. Her husband, James, tries to exorcise her, but Melissa, still possessed, kills him. With his last breath, James manages to push the demon deep enough into Melissa's soul that she regains control. When she realizes that she's killed her husband, Melissa kills herself. On confirming Melissa's death, Voraz's magic is hijacked by the demon and he is forced to resurrect Melissa against her will. Guilty, he decides to at least wipe her memory so that she won't have to remember killing her husband when she wakes. When she does wake up, she calls herself Morgan. Morgan at first thinks that she's gone mad when she hears the demon, but Zakirael assures her that he believes her and that there is a demon in her soul and that is the voice she is hearing. He warns her that she is wanted for murder, saying that James was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and they never knew each other. The demon is pretty frank about her situation, telling her that they have known each other for ages and are always fated to find each other. The demon encourages Morgan to be adopted by Zakirael so that she can gain power. At first, she's wary, but Zakirael uses her amnesia to establish himself as a father figure. As trust builds between them, Zakirael realizes that Morgan is a much better heir to his fortune than his son is. 
Morgan and Zaraku get into a fight over Zaraku's creepiness, and Zakirael banishes his son to another of his business ventures. He gives the excuse that there's a mad god rampaging around, and he can't have all the heirs in one place, but everyone knows what's going on. Once he feels Morgan is settled enough, Zakirael introduces his sister, Ursula, and asks Morgan to find out why she's lost her mind. Morgan works with Voraz to try and diagnose Ursula. In a fit, Ursula begins to scream about black claws and dark eyes. Morgan is horrified and demands to know how Zakirael could not know that his sister had been possessed. Voraz admits that a healer named Melissa once diagnosed Ursula, but Zakirael doesn't want to believe it. At the same time, Morgan realizes that she's attracted to Voraz, but she doesn't know what to do with the information. Morgan goes to Melissa's hospital to see if there's anything to do about her own condition, only to find out that she is, or was, Melissa. She also finds out that Zakirael and Melissa hated each other, and she was resurrected after committing suicide and not after being killed, as Zakirael told her. Morgan is most shaken by Zakirael's lies, but decides to report Voraz's crime and runs away to escape Zakirael's manipulation. Voraz submits to his trial, even though the demon was the one to resurrect Morgan, and receives a death sentence. His sentence is delayed a few days due to the mad god Kirill still causing trouble, and while they are waiting, the demon tells Morgan that it resurrected her. Voraz was only a conduit. Morgan goes and pulls Voraz out of his sentence, admitting that she loves him at the same time. Morgan and Voraz decide to run away. Before they can leave, Zakirael's son Zaraku catches up with them and kills Voraz. He says it's jealousy, but really hates that Morgan is still named Zakirael's heir despite running away. Morgan chases him, but while confronting Zakirael about his son's whereabouts, Kirill the Mad God interrupts. The demon tells her to fight or die, and Morgan decides that she doesn't want to die yet because she has some revenge to do. When she finds that she has no chance of actually hurting Kirill, she just throws magic at him, which, by replacing power the mad god has lost in madness, gives Kirill a moment of clarity, during which the god tells her that even though he's going to be killed soon, he'll come back and free her from the demon. When the god leaves, Zakirael offers her the full inheritance if she'll stay. Morgan decides to stay because she wants to pay Zakirael back for tricking her into trusting him. She believes that the god will come back. So here's what I'd like to discuss. The story can be changed so that Voraz never gets a chance to wipe Morgan's memories. She still wakes up as Morgan, but she remembers Melissa's life. She just can't relate to it and has no emotional connection to it, other than the fact that she's angry that it's over. What's going to make a more effective story and what's more interesting? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's food there. There's there's lots of food there. Lots of story discussion. But definitely, we will make that a priority, uh, Caitlin, to make sure that we uh, address that point. Because I'm, I'm sure everybody on the call has an opinion one way or another with, with arguments to back them up. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Well done. Excellent pitch. Um, before we dive into the froth to come, though, uh, uh, we need to cover our ass. Uh, so, Samantha, would would you be so kind as to as to read for for Caitlin the patented roundtable podcast disclaimer, please? Not a problem at all. Caitlin, you are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, inspirations, and insights. It's important that you realize that. Everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Tim might possibly be complete and utter bullshit. (laughs) This is absolutely your story, and you decide what to use and what to leave behind. All right? 
Sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome. Good. <laughs> That's another concern of mine. Somebody's going to say, oh, no, no, this is a no bullshit zone. We can't do that. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't roundtable without that uh, without that disclaimer. <laughs> Very cool. Excellent. Well, let's dive into this. Uh, and, and at the diving board, we always start off with a quick once around the table to get some first impressions of things that stood out and ask some questions of clarification. And we always start with our guest host. So, Tim Wagner, start us off, sir. What are your first impressions? impressions of of Caitlin's story idea and what questions do you have to help clarify things well I think it's a, a, a real rich idea I mean there's you know so many different conflicts going on but they all stay focused on the characters you know it's not spilling out all the hell and gone like sometimes can happen in an epic fantasy <laughs> so I think that makes it you know a nicely focused character based story a couple of questions I had was uh, how com- how common is possession in this world and what's society's attitudes toward it? I had that same question. Possession isn't exactly the most common thing in the world. It's heard of, but most people never experience or experience it or meet someone with it. So it's misunderstood in general and also mostly feared. One of the ideas of possession is that um, generally people don't survive it unless they are uh, unless there's something special about them. So, you know, it, Morgan, it, part of the reason that Zakirail wants to keep her is because um, you know she is not only hopefully going to help him figure out how to sort Ursula out, but because he knows that the only reason someone survives a possession is because they're special in some way. Okay, is there any kind of like process for dealing with people that have possession i mean are they are they if once they're identified i mean is there any kind of equivalent of like police or do they get taken to the hospital or an asylum or anything generally not just because mostly people die or are mad they uh ursula is no longer possessed the demon just sort of dropped in and then was like oh crap i can't do anything with this and dropped out again and left her mad so the the demon doesn't like wreak havoc when it's inside somebody or it's not a physical danger to people in the real world um it is it's not mentioned in the pitch but ursula <laughs> killed almost all of her family except for Zakirael when she was possessed but after that she collapsed so the demon was like well okay bye all right so it's just something that like flares up and it's over before anybody can do anything about it usually generally yes okay. all right sounds good Cool. Awesome. Uh, Samantha, what about you? First impressions and any questions you have? Uh, first impressions, it sounds like a very like a very rich background to work with. Uh, something you said about the demon speaking to Morgan, though. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like you said the demon told her that it had known her a long time and they were fated to always meet up again, right? Right. Correct. So, um, so is there a like reincarnation built into this into this world as well? Yes, actually. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Is that known by people? Is that just everybody knows, hey, I'm gonna die and then I'll come back as somebody else? Is is that a common thing? Reincarnation, yeah, is a generally accepted thing, um, which is addressed in other parts. It's just not addressed here because it's too big of an idea to con- you know, to kind of push into this little bit of story sure. uh it's just kind of that's that's about the only time it's mentioned about reincarnation but it's generally understood that reincarnation is a thing that happens 
Okay. Is is there any? Uh, I'm sorry, Samantha. Is, uh, the, you, your question spawned a bunch of other questions that I wanted to ask. Is there a, is there a moral code? Like you know, what what stops somebody from you know being a complete bastard their whole life and just blah, and then while they're sitting in jail committing suicide and coming back and coming back as a king or or as a rich guy or whatever. I mean, usually people don't remember their previous incarnations. Like Morgan has no idea what the demon is talking about when it says they've always known each other. Mm. It's just that the demon has known all of her previous incarnations and she has no idea. So as far as anyone knows, death is it. I mean, you get another reincarnation, but you don't know what your previous incarnation was in general. Okay. Okay. That's cool. But, 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 but death isn't the end of life. It's just the end of consciousness at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, Samantha, go ahead. Any other questions that you had? I didn't mean to hijack you there. No, that's okay. So in this case, reincarnation would be more like, I guess, a priestly knowledge, like the, the people who know kind of what's going on, but Joe Schmo on the street doesn't. You could say that there's one of the things that's not, quite mentioned that's part of the world is an institute and it's a place where people who are uh, powerful in magic go to study and it's something it's considered a prestigious thing to get an invitation so this that's where a lot of the magical knowledge of this world stems from and people Mm -hmm. who are trained there understand a lot more about how it works but yes in general joe schmo on the street doesn't quite understand or may have heard of it but just doesn't understand the intricacies of it okay cool any other questions or things um is does the your main character morgan does does any of her knowledge of her past lives and interactions with the demons ever come the demon ever come out yeah so the demon does tell her a little bit about it um the demon implies that it's her fault that they're both stuck in this cycle and that her previous incarnation did something terrible to him. And it doesn't ever say exactly what she tries to ask because she thinks maybe she can reconcile with the demon. But um, the demon tells her that it's tried that it's tried to reconcile. It's tried to be nice. And this is the only thing that's worked so far. And even that has never worked. So right now it's just kind of desperate and exhausted of the cycle that it's been stuck in because it's been eons and you know it's never been able to die or forget you might think about having um some of that dramatized like in memory flashbacks or something from morgan and it might be interesting if she picks up some tidbits that might help her even if she's not quite sure what they are but tidbits of information that might help her deal with the demon somehow yeah i'm curious why are you holding that information back um generally because it it does continue like the 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 story continues so some of the information like the part that the demon tells her is let out but she doesn't experience it yet so it it, i guess i'm holding it back for uh, the subsequent books okay nope that's totally legit totally legit reason seed those future novels absolutely um for myself uh uh i i love I love the idea of somebody being confronted with the notion that they aren't who they think they are. Uh, and it really speaks to I, uh, concepts of personal identity. Uh, uh, and, and you've set up a beautiful, beautiful conflict. And as, as Tim observed as well, the, the conflicts surrounding Melissa Morgan support and, and, and reinforce that. And that's very cool. I, I did have a few questions. Um, 
you you mentioned that A Star has tech and magic, but magic tends to win out in matters of of you know, doing stuffs. Uh, why is that? I, I didn't hear anything in the story itself that really supported a need for technology. Uh, uh, I mean, this story could could just as easily be an epic fantasy with no tech at all, just medieval tech. So what were you going for for that tech angle of things? Well, A-Star itself doesn't have an doesn't have any real technology. It understands science, um, which is kind of what I must have misspoke on that, because it understands anatomy. It understands why someone, for instance, has cancer. It understands why light refracts, that sort of thing. It understands it just through the lens of magic rather than through the lens of technology. Okay. And a lot of that is because the greater world, which I'm not focused on right now in this particular podcast, is um, there are worlds where it is all tech or half tech, half magic types of things. A-Star just doesn't happen to be one of them. Okay. And is there interaction at all between A-Star and those other worlds? There is, which is part of why... Um, a-Star understands technology and is not afraid of it. Okay. There's some interaction, but it's not like, it's like our interaction with China, per se. There's a big ocean there. There's a lot of space between those worlds. So Joe Schmo doesn't know the first thing about these other worlds, but people who are in the know do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That's intriguing. Um, why you had mentioned that, that Melissa and uh, Zakiriel hate each other. Uh, why is that? Melissa is, um, Melissa grew up on Zakirael's land and she doesn't like him mostly because he badgered her mother a lot. And it, it, there's a, there's a tiny little plot that didn't have anything to do with the plot of the reason that, um, Melissa and Zakirael never got along is because Zakirael was trying to marry her mother. And her mother just said, no, not so much. You've got a son that's a creeper, and I know it, and I have a daughter, and that's not going to work out. <laughs> so, okay. uh, but Melissa, as a young girl, misinterpreted the relationship a little bit. It wasn't a angry, fighty, like, hatred, no, get away from me type of thing. It was a, no, this just isn't going to work type okay. of thing. Okay, that's cool. The, the, the biggest questions, well, I, I have a couple, something, yeah, I'll do this quickly. Um, uh, uh, the demon. The demon is, is probably the biggest thing that I have questions about. Tim already invoked the, the she is a soul shard, uh, uh, and she did something that locked them into this thing, and we never find out what that is. And man, I get the, the need for, for seeding that uh, uh, for future episodes, future episodes, listen to me, I'm a podcaster, uh, future books, um, but... I, God, I really want to know. Do you know what, what she did and what that event is? Uh, yes, I do, actually. What happened was that in a very long time ago, um, we'll just call them Melissa and the demon, and the demon was basically a rich man's son, and the rich man came and said, hey, this girl's going to marry me. And Melissa said, I am? I mean, okay. She didn't like the guy at all, though, and he was mistreating her, and the son started to feel bad for her. So the demon started to feel badly for her. And finally it came to the point where she, where she said, please help me, please get me away from this. And he said, okay, just give me a few days. And he, a few days later, you know, he hasn't been able to um, do anything about it. So Melissa 
poisons the food of her husband, but accidentally doesn't realize that the food of the husband is mixed in with the food of the entire house when he's done. Oh, damn. So she ends up killing about 50 people. And the son ate the food as well, but the poison left him alive just in this place where he couldn't die, but everything about him was pain. So he kind of stewed in pain for a, a good couple hundred years. And the hatred from that is kind of what bore the cycle. So he's not technically a demon. Or is that how demons get made in your world through, through horrific events uh, uh, and traumas of life? Someone else had something to do with that. It, it, they created they created the demon from his feelings, essentially. Okay. So it is him, but it's also created <laughs> and then, from so that's his a, even a bigger story that goes beyond. Okay. Yeah, um, it keeps going. <laughs> all right, all right. Let me just ask one last question, and we'll get to the brainstorm thing. The demon wants to be free. To do what? Yes. In general, right now, it, it hasn't seen past the ability to die. Uh, so the the ability right now, it's not allowed to die essentially because it's just coming back and coming back and coming back. So, so which it is wants the peace. So it, it wants peace. Yeah, essentially. It wants to die. It wants to it, be able to let go. Yes. See, I can kind of get behind that. That's good. You know, a, 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 an antagonist whose who's justifications make sense. That's excellent. That's awesome. I can get behind that. If he dies, will he get to reincarnate? Will he get to start Ooh, over with a life cycle? Good question. That's part of the question of the entire series. Uh, the entire series is just a, a lot of different questions about fate, and Morgan's just happens to be about changing uh, someone else changing your fate. But um, the the idea is that he doesn't necessarily want to reincarnate, but if that's what it takes, that's just fine. Okay. Cool. All right, let's dive into this and and let's uh, let's let's focus. Uh, Caitlin had had put forth a very specific request uh, about uh, uh, the Melissa character and knowing or being ignorant of her her previous exi- or the Morgan character being ignorant of the Melissa's background. Uh, and let's address that before we address any specific other story elements and so on. So so Tim, start us off, sir. Um, in the context of the Melissa Morgan dynamic. Do you think it, it, it has more story food for Morgan to know uh, about Melissa's past or have that be something that she discovers along the way? Well, I guess it depends on whatever would create the most potential for conflict and um, like exploration in the story. I would say probably the, the less she knows, the better. And maybe even not knowing at first that she's possessed by a demon, if that's been wiped away from her. Because I think when... Caitlin, you were you were giving us the the synopsis. I think that the 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 other character told her almost right away that she was possessed, and it would be interesting for her not to know that right away, mm-hmm. um, to see what kind of impact that has. But in general, uh, I think the more opportunity there is for discovery, probably the better. It's also just practically speaking a great way to work in uh, exposition instead of having you know to tell people stuff. We get to discover at the same time the character. <laughs> does. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I agree. What about you, Samantha? I actually have to take the exact opposite stance. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> um, I would say, like, you know, maybe not remember the, what, three days where Melissa got possessed, went insane, killed everyone, and then became Morgan. Like, I, I would be fine if there was that that block there. But I would say I would want Morgan to, if not remember all of being Melissa, at least remember parts of it, it would be incredibly poignant where Morgan goes around and she looks at something and she says, I used to have feelings for this. 
but I don't anymore. And I think contrasting that against the demon who remembers everything, I think that would make some really great interplay. That's a good point. That's a good point. Actually, I'm going to come down directly and squarely between the two of you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to advocate for, uh, uh, just from a narrative perspective, from a narrative structure standpoint, of, of starting the story when Morgan regains consciousness. So all of the events that led up to that are a mystery. And everybody around her, Voraz, uh, uh, Zarakiel, uh, uh, and even Z- Zaraku and, and everyone else, everybody has a stake in keeping that secret. Uh, Voraz for his guilt, Zarakiel for his, for his desires to, uh, 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 you know, help his sister and, and Zaraku because, well, I wasn't getting anywhere with Melissa. Maybe I'll get somewhere with Morgan. She seems like a badass. Uh, uh, so <laughs> everybody wants to keep it a secret. But at the same time, taking what Samantha was suggesting of, of having there be resonances uh, uh, and having her go, what, what, having her realize there's a huge gap. I don't know how I got here. What the hell is going on? And if you build the narrative of Melissa and everybody talking about Melissa and this other person and everybody get, you know, she was, she was amazing. She was awesome. We loved her, but nobody telling Morgan that she was Melissa. What you set up is this very cool mystery of who is this Melissa person? Uh, uh, the mystery of who Morgan is and the demon, of course, messing with her and trying to guide her, uh, uh to his own twisted and manipulative ends. Uh, uh, and then the revelation at the end, uh, uh, becomes the key point and also an excellent point where uh, the demon can reveal more of, of what's going on there and so on and so forth. So so I, I think a, the best of both worlds would be a very cool narrative to work with. And then the story becomes about Morgan. The, the first story in the series becomes about Morgan and understanding her. And by having all of the impetus and all of the conflict and all of the components of the story be warped around there then the story becomes very small and and i think tim you mentioned that as well that all of the conflicts and all the things are happening aren't these grand big epic fantasy things it's very small but upon that revelation at the end of act three then the revelation becomes an unlocking and a portal to a much larger narrative so there's three different perspectives uh uh caitlin uh what what are your thoughts Actually, that's fantastic to hear three people have the exact same three thoughts that I've had. Because <laughs> I told Dave that I've written this book at least twice already. One where Morgan forgets, one where Morgan remembers. And that's part of why I came to this podcast is because I was having trouble settling on one. Both of them were it were good, but I hadn't quite gotten a good feel of where to go, you know, where to focus my energies. And I I like what you said, Samantha, because that's something that I hadn't thought of juxtaposing is putting, you know, Morgan with her memories and and her half-remembered things where she doesn't have any feelings and the demon who remembers everything and and is, has a lot of different feels, shall we say. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I agree. And, and, you know, if you paint Melissa, if you make Melissa uh, a, a, a more dramatic character who had a greater impact on the community that Morgan is now interacting with, then 
Melissa's story becomes equally fascinating. And then when the two are woven together, holy crap. And, and wow. And, and, you know, Tim, do you think we could sustain that kind of, of mystery throughout the course of a book? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think readers read for the joy of discovery and anything that you can do to, to do that for them, to give them things to discover makes for a really good story. Yeah. And it's, the interesting thing about that too would be the question of identity because it's like, you know, who are we? Are we our past? There's like the long past and reincarnation. There's just the past that Morgan might not quite remember as much of. Uh, is Morgan like a whole new person that's just been kind of born out of this situation? So there's a lot of, you know, big issues in there that even if they're just kind of explored tangentially makes it, you know, a much deeper work, I think. I agree. I agree. And and that whole concept of reincarnation, you know, it, it raises and, and sets a context for the nature of Morgan's consciousness. Uh, uh, it takes it to a whole new level because, as, as Tim observed, is Morgan a reincarnation? Is she the true essence of Melissa and Melissa was living a lie and now that 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 consciousness has been stripped away is Morgan the the true essence of who she was and if so that creates an even cooler dynamic because now there's the mystery of who Melissa was and and what her story is and what happened to her why did she disappear and and you can see all of these mysteries culminating in this wonderful explosive third act Uh, I just I like that I like that a lot you know, you, you use the word reincarnation, you know, is Morgan a reincarnation? And a lot of times when I write, I try to like connect the threads of the various things in the world. So if this world already has reincarnation, it would be interesting if resurrection of a physical body is is like a reincarnation, maybe reincarnation light or is still part of that cycle in a strange way. It's almost like the way the doctor, you know, regenerates. Oh, yeah. That, it, it, that would fit the overall like pattern in the world that, that we have reincarnation and there could be pluses and minuses some people might see that as almost like a, an abomination like you short circuit the process you shouldn't be doing that yes some be reborn fully and um that's really interesting i, I love that said that she was a reincarnation it's so exciting that you say that tim because that's addressed <laughs> at one point <laughs> later in the series that that idea of like resurrection is is not exactly the best thing in the whole wide world it's it's short fusing something well right. and, and riffing on that if 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 Vor- if the demon through voraz actually snatched another soul from the soul well and jammed it into melissa's body is that soul from the soul well part of this soul shard sequence or has through the reincarnation the cycle already been broken in such a way that damns the demon to eternity and and by breaking the soul shard cycle that melissa started so long ago uh uh through this resurrection through the demon's own actions oh the irony uh uh has snatched this other soul and and maybe maybe this was a hail mary attempt on the part of the demon to to break the cycle and it hasn't and oh holy crap how do i fix this and maybe that becomes you know the third act revelation that we need to get melissa the demon needs to get melissa back and we need to eject morgan but morgan doesn't want to go holy crap this is awesome and it's that's cool too because it makes the demon it forces the demon to go back to the way things were because it was preferable to what it's turned into yes so not only is the demon not going to break the cycle it's like I have to go back to the cycle because at least that gives me an attempt to start over or a chance to start over. 
That's really cool. And drives the demon more into the forefront of the narrative as well. And it would be doubly cool if the demon that, that possessed Melissa uh, uh, was also the same demon that possessed Ursula. Mm, that's really and, interesting. And then now we've bound Ursula's destiny and Zerakiel and Zoraku to more than just association. They, everybody gets is a part of this web that the demon has has created and and fostered and woven through its machinations. And it's desperate and completely justified attempt at just wanting peace and being dead. I'm so tired of living. I have to say, Dave, I agree that I think the demon should take a more active role in what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, when you when you say the word demon, you expect someone who is terrifying and is a badass. And right. the, the way it was originally set out is, you know, he was he's just more of a victim. Yeah. And I think after, you know, a- after hundreds of years of being in pain, I, I think you would just snap and you would start doing just utterly immoral things. Sure. Well, and, and maybe, you know, you raise an interesting point. Maybe, you know, using the word demon carries a lot of baggage. It's like having an elf in a fantasy story uh, or an <laughs> yeah. orc, you know. Everybody's got their baggage that they bring to the story. And using the term demon has that same effect. Readers are going to come to the story with an expectation. So you're going to need to define that very quickly. What if demons in this world aren't, you know, creatures from hell that want to corrupt our souls, but what if they're reincarnations that went wrong for whatever reason? Yeah. I would, yeah, I would almost, I would just do away with the word demon, call him like a lost soul or someone, you know, someone lost from the cycle. Yeah, or, yeah. or maybe explain the word early on. Maybe they use the word demon because it is horrifying to be out of that cycle of life. Uh, but, but but make the, you know, have there be other reincarnated people. Well, everybody, of course, is obviously reincarnated. But maybe having a church or, or some sort of cultural aspect that manifests early in the story uh, uh, that defines that cultural perspective and what the demons are. Maybe it's hidden though. Maybe nobody knows what they are, or maybe just some people in the church know. Or right, yeah, yes, secret. better. Who wants to think of the? You know, you may die and become a demon. They might Ooh. want to hide the truth from people. Excellent point. Excellent point. And 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 that would be. I could even see a whole subculture evolving around that. You know, maybe maybe there is a subculture that that wants that uh, uh, to be free of the. You know, we we were talking, Caitlin, about your theme of of defying fate. And what does it take to get out of fate? Maybe this reincarnation cycle implies a kind of slavery and that there are people who actually want to break that cycle of reincarnation and become demons, become lost spirits. Maybe that's a kind of freedom. Yeah, that's a fantastic thought. It's 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 something it's definitely something to dig into. Yeah. Holy crap. You know, and it fits in the the Christian mythology too was Satan wanting to be free, you know, and, and like in a uh, Milton where he'd rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. So, right, what, you know, you don't have to plug it into that, but I mean, it fits the kind of mythic paradigm. So, right, I agree. So let's 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 lend some attention. And we've given some good attention, I think, to Melissa and to Morgan, um, and to the demon as well. Who good stuff? Um, let's let's focus our attention in, in the time we have left to some of the supporting characters and plot threads that are going on. 
Um, Tim uh, uh, Zarakiel, Zakoru, Vorez. Uh, uh, in fact, let's talk about Vorez. One thing that struck me was suddenly out of the blue, uh, uh, Morgan loves Vorez and goes back to save his ass. Um, and that seemed kind of abrupt to me. Uh, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on the character of Vorez and his context with, with Morgan and Melissa? I think your point about it seeming abrupt, I mean, just in the description of it, is, is a good one. And right. I, it was I, a pitch, yeah. Right. But I, I'd be curious, if, if Morgan's a new person, I mean, how would that person even... I think it'd be so confusing how you would connect to other people and how you would even come to love. You're almost like a newborn in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really know how that would connect. I, I did wonder... Just, you know, I was jotting down notes while the pitch was going on. I was just wondering if the, if, if Melissa or Morgan had any friends or allies, really, because it sounded like everybody was an antagonist, and pretty, for the most part, an antagonist in one way or another. That's a good point. Especially if there's somebody from Melissa, like if Melissa has somebody close to her who, for what, you know, is trying to help that doesn't want Morgan to know or keeps Morgan safe by not saying she's Melissa or something. Um, but anyway, if there's going to, I think having, you know, a, a, another love interest would be good. Um, certainly if she starts to get any kind of her memory back about her, her, you know, her husband being killed and the way it happened, it might be very difficult for her to connect to somebody else. So that's really good, a good conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, she might not even know exactly what her feelings are. Part going to save somebody might be a way of finding that out too. Sure. You know, it's like, you know, I, she might feel the, the, the moral need to do it. And, you know, we'll see how my feelings work out as it happens. Well, and if we if we riff on Samantha's idea of these these uh, uh, memories of feelings, but being disconnected to them, responses, you know, instincts that she doesn't understand. You know, if, if Melissa hated Zerachiel. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with your dynamic that you got working there, uh, uh, Caitlin. Um, if, if she hated Zerachiel as Melissa, um, then it kind of makes more sense for Morgan, who has maybe less of a moral compass than Melissa does, to respond to Zerachiel. Uh, you you have him being you know being almost Zerachiel's ally and and Zerachiel's being a father figure and and sustaining her hatred of Zeraku uh, uh, f- across the, the the personality transition. What if it works the exact opposite? What if she sees that Zeraku and Zerachiel are at odds with each other and she decides to pair up with Zeraku in order to you know not understanding why but seeing an ally against this guy that she hates for some inexplicable reason and then and so connects with him and actually bonds with him briefly uh, uh, and then discovers the utter wrongness of that creepy creepy relationship and and in that revelation then deciding making that first step towards this is who I am damn it and no I'm not down with you I Voraz uh, uh, needs needs my help and and goes back in defense. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of waffling and, and, and spitballing at this point, but, but playing with those dynamics and giving Morgan something to, uh, uh, r- grind up against in terms of stone against stone and go, ah, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to do this. Oh, wrong choice. You know, the try fail cycle that we talk <laughs> about so often. Um, Samantha, what do you think? Uh. Or, or is that just too creepy? <laughs> Well, I don't know, because 
I'm having some trouble with the timeline of all this. Like mm. she, she's in happily in love with her husband as Melissa and she gets possessed and she wakes up as Morgan. And then what in a week, in a month, in a year discovers she loves someone else. No, she killed her husband. She, yeah. She killed her husband. Right. And then, and then had her now who wiped the memory, Caitlin, was that the demon? Was that Voraz or was that Melissa? It was Voraz because okay. uh, because he felt awful about the fact that she would have to wake up and remember that she'd killed her husband. So he was like, "Well, at the very least, I can't I, do, I can't let her stay dead. So at the very least, I'll wipe her memories." Weak bastard! I hate him for that. I hate him right now for that. That you know, you see that as a kindness, but ultimately, it's one of those. Oh, you bastard! Don't do that. Let her confront <laughs> her things. She needs to confront the things. That's exactly how you're supposed to react. Okay, so good. <laughs> you, you win. <laughs> you win. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Samantha. I, I, I interjected there. Well, like you said, I mean, Morgan is basically a newborn. I have trouble with the idea that that she'd basically wake up and within a month, you know, whether or not she remembers being Melissa at all, within a month developing feelings for someone to the point where I'm going to go save you even at the risk of my own life. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I just think that would be a lot of difficult character development in a very short period of time. Yeah. There's, there's going to need to be something in there, Caitlin, that, that, and, and again, it was a pitch, and, and pitches are always a very compressed form of narrative, but uh, there's going to need to be some evolution of that relationship to support the choice that she makes later on. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and to an extent, like there, there certainly can be. There's a lot of places to go with that. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm watching the clock, and it's kind of ticking down a little bit, so I, I want to... Well, first, I'll ask... Caitlin, was there anything else that you wanted us to explore uh, uh, as a group before we go move into that final phase and final thoughts? No, I love all the all the froth that I've gotten here. <laughs> we are we are known for our froth. <laughs> Very good, excellent. Then let's go ahead and move into that final phase. This is the one last time around the table where each of us gives some thoughts and ideas, maybe some concepts that came up during the the brainstorm that you didn't get a chance to share. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be earth shaking wisdom, uh, uh, but basically we just want to fill Caitlin's pockets with as much literary gold as possible. So she can go out and write this bad boy. Tim, we'll start with you, sir. Final thoughts for Caitlin. Well, one of the things that strikes me, just listening to, to all of us talk about it, is is how much duality is a theme or a motif here. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's something, maybe I see it too, because I write about it a lot myself, but, you know, simple things like, you know, Melissa versus Morgan and who the demon used to be and who the demon is now. And, and so I think that the, the, the more you could play around, Caitlin, with just the idea of duality, and, you know, who is what and just anything at all, even including like with with the, the various worlds that you have. I think it would just make it such a rich work on so many levels just to play with that idea of duality and character ways, the world ways, um, the setting. Yeah. yeah. Setting up those contrasts and having them you know, grind against each other. That's always creates for good story sparks. Yeah, I like that. Samantha, what about you? Final thoughts for for Caitlin? I would say, you know, since reincarnation is a thing in this world, I would make the Morgan Melissa character like, you know, I would make them the entire reincarnation idea in 
in a nutshell, basically, because you know it exists in this world and you can examine it in all different ways just by focusing on this one character. They can be every expression of reincarnation there is. Right. Right. That's really cool. And be the narrative vehicle for that aspect of the culture in the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. I couldn't agree more. Um, and and the idea, I guess, that I'll put out is then the idea of, of the mystery of Melissa uh, and the mystery of Morgan and having setting up Morgan and Melissa as, I guess I'll riff on the duality thing, as, as being adversaries, as being, uh, if Melissa's personality uh, is so different from Morgan's, uh, uh, and and the life that Melissa led becomes so antithetical to Morgan's discoveries in her newborn state. And of course, that's totally viable because she's being poisoned basically by all the people around her that are trying to manipulate her. Uh, uh, then you've got that wonderful conflict of, of self-loathing or self-conflict or, or being in conflict with your impulses. When that revelation comes out that you are this person, then... How do you how do you reconcile that? Uh, that would break somebody, I would think. And it's always a good thing to break your character so that you can see how they give them the opportunity to pull themselves together, which is what I think what the true hero cycle is about is is allowing yourself to be broken through your for your foibles and then having the courage to pull yourself together. Also, in your description of, of, of Melissa Morgan, she starts out naive and, and trusting and ends up vengeful. Uh, that is the very definition of a grimdark story, <laughs> where, where <laughs> things start out happy and you end up, no, oh, man, this sucks. Um, I guess the one thought that I had uh, uh, about the ending, where Morgan decides to stay with Zerakiel and, and be a, a, a conniving, manipulative person, that... That struck me as a weak choice, um, as, as a climax for a story to make me want to go into the next story. It, I would rather see Morgan make a very definitive, hard choice uh, 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 and, and agreeing to continue a deception seems like a continuance rather than a break in the narrative, if that makes sense. So there is a version where Morgan decides that in mercy, she will stay with Zakirael, but she's also going to murder Ursula in order to end her like pretty dang miserable life. Um, would that be, would that kind of change your opinion of it? You know, I'm, I'm continuing the deception, but I'm also not putting up with your crap anymore. Would that be, would that, would that change your, would that change your idea of it? It helps. It, it, that helps because, but see, now the thing is that I, okay, my, my final thoughts are winding out much longer than I'd like them to. I would love to see uh, uh, Ursula and the demon be bound and have Ursula be a part of of this this construct in some way, shape, or form. I'd actually like to see her uh, uh, role uh, uh, amplified a little bit and have, you know, I'd actually rather see her kill Zerakiel and lift up Ursula as a bondmate and have her and Ursula stride forward saying, we've both been screwed by this demon. Let's figure out together how we can piece ourselves together. 
So you kind of, it sounds like you kind of want it to be, you know, um, Frodo and Gollum from Lord of the Rings. They've both been <laughs> screwed over by something. Yeah. And of them sees redemption in caring for the other. I guess, yeah. And, and, and to have that bond be between another person, to not have to stand alone. Uh, uh, you know, it, that's the very definition of, of a strong female character. I'm making a choice. I need support. Uh, uh, and, and that's, I, I think that would be a very strong ending, but again, just a thought, just, just more grist for the mill as it were. And it might be total grist. We've established that already. So <laughs> anyway, uh, 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 Caitlin, holy crap, excellent pitch, great story, brainstorm, uh, uh, much bravery, courage. Again, we salute you. This has been fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. No, I'm really excited to get back to work. <laughs> Good. Our work is done here. Now, you know the deal, Caitlin. You go out and you get to work. You write this story. You publish it out in the world, whether it's a PDF on your website or or a, a deal with a big publisher. It doesn't matter. As long as these ideas get out there uh, and are seeding other people, if people are reading this stuff, you let us know. We'll bring you back and we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast are you down with that <laughs> i totally am <laughs> awesome i will look forward to that day tim wagner sir thank you so much you once again affirm the wisdom of my choice to not have this just be me and my co-host but to have a veteran author who's trod these paths many many times before to help guide our discussion and and the explorations this has been fabulous sir i'm very very grateful thank you Oh, you're very welcome. I had a great time. Yeah, so did we. So did we. Definitely. 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 And Samantha, my co-host, this has been a blast, ma'am. We, I think we make a good team. We came down on the opposite sides of some discussions, and that's always a fabulous, fabulous thing to have happen during a discussion, and very important, I think. So I'm, I'm equally grateful to have you at my side for this. Thank you, ma'am. Hey, it was great for me, too. Yeah, it's great for everybody, this brainstorming stuff. I think we all got something out of that. And friends, I hope you got something out of that too. And thank you, as always, for hitting that play button. You you close the loop for us. You complete the circuit. You give us a reason why we're recording this stuff and putting it out in the world. I hope you caught fire uh, from the froth. There's a mixed meta- metaphor for you. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> uh, and if you're feeling that love, then by all means, you know... Tweet about us, uh, blog about us, share a, share a Facebook post, spread the word, let the world know there's awesomeness happening here at the round table. And as always, at the end of these episodes, God, the temperature in the room has gone up. I'm, I'm lighting the celebratory cigarette at the end of that froth. I'm spent. We're all spent. But, you know, like a phoenix from the ashes in two weeks, in just 14 days, we're going to start this all over again. We're going to bring back another fabulous guest host to pour wisdom in our ears a courageous guest writer pitching story ideas for discussion more more round table frothy goodness to be had by all and god 14 days that's a long damn time and i'm i'm sorry it's just that's, that's the only way we can make this happen samantha help our listeners out what can they do between now and seven days from now to, to make that time just just whiz by well i would say to them you know have fun storming the castle ha <laughs> 
<laughs> Do they have a chance? Not, not a chance in hell. Yes, excellent. Have fun storming the castle. Because really, writing is, that's an excellent metaphor for writing. There is an idea out there, and it's its its like a dungeon crawl. You know, you're, you're working your way through, and you're discovering mysteries. That's, a, that's excellent advice. I like that. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the package lost in the back of the Christmas tree. Look for that fabulosity in your life. And I promise you, friends, if you look for it, you will find it. We will be back in 14 days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.